Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality, sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chinookie. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Because we just met, so yeah. it's kind of weird, eh? Like, I saw you at the door, and I'm like, wait, I know where you've been on vacation this yeah. summer. It's so <laughs> strange, eh? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Samantha, thank you so much for coming. And just before we started recording, you were talking about what you're bringing to overdose awareness in Airdrie on August 31st. Do you mind yeah. repeating that for everybody just yeah, before absolutely. we get started? Um, so I'll have a booth there with Your Journey. Mm -hmm. It is a mutual aid harm reduction organization that I started in Airdrie last year. Nice. So I am a community-based naloxone distributor, which mm -hmm. means I'm able to hand out and train people on how to use and administer naloxone. Right on. I'm also a satellite site with SafeWorks, which means I get um, safer using supplies such mm -hmm. as um, bubbles and syringes. I also get safer sex supplies. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also hand out uh, hygiene kits, so shower kits, oral kits, menstrual okay. kits, things along those lines. And then I do my best to get donations, so clothing mm -hmm. donations and things like that, water, snacks, juice. Okay. So I'll have all of that there. Right on. <laughs> um, on top of that, I will be, um, I'll have pamphlets for Mom Stop the Harm, okay. which is a network of Canadian families who have um, lost somebody or who have had someone who has substance use. Mm -hmm. um, and have experienced harms or death. Mm -hmm. I'll also have pamphlets um, and business cards for AWARE, which is the Alberta Alliance who educate and advocate responsibly. Um, I will hopefully have some information on DELF, which is the Drug Users Liberation Front out in BC. Um, and I'll wow. also have stuff for Here Together, which is a support group in Airdrie mm -hmm. um, that's run by a lady named Shauna, and it's for family and friends of people who use drugs. Okay. And yeah. what, what's the um, the second one, second to last one you said? The DELF, the Drug yeah, User Dolph. Liberation what is that? Brand. It's, <laughs> it's an incredible it organization. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. I encourage people to check out their website. Okay. Uh, I'm wearing one of their sweaters actually right now. It says heroin on it. Um, Can you get a picture of us while we're sitting? Yeah, sure. At any time, dude, yeah. any time. Yeah. And um, they are an organization trying to prove how a safe supply of drugs can help prevent substance mm. poisoning deaths. Mm -hmm. And we know that's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even though some people don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> some people are really, it's weird how against that truth they are, right? Yeah, yeah. They're stuck on that abstinence stuff. Yeah. It's Which tough. don't get me wrong, abstinence is great for, for lots of people, yeah. right? Yeah, and, um, you know, that's how, until my partner died last year, that's, mm. 
that's what I was all about. I, you mm -hmm. know, I had heard about harm reduction and I liked it so long as my partner wasn't using it. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. <laughs> um, so if it was helping anyone other than him, yeah. I was like, yeah, this is great. But yeah. when it impacted my family, it mm -hmm. was like all of the information that I did have, which wasn't very much. I had mm -hmm. very little knowledge of harm reduction. Um, it was, it was a no-go for him. Mm -hmm. I was, um, he brought it up a couple of times and each time I, I shut it down. Like, no, that's, mm -hmm. that's not for us. It's not for our family. It's not for you. Mm -hmm. So, and essentially th that killed him. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, failed drug policies, lack of resources. Uh, he was set to go to treatment the following day. Mm -hmm. So, um, I decided to jump right into harm reduction, I guess. I, just, mm -hmm. I did a lot of research. I, um, I actually got into it from this lady on Riley's Facebook. I had mm -hmm. been looking at his Facebook page and this one um, person's Facebook like picture stood out to me. And so I went to it and it was all about like overdose awareness. Mm -hmm. And so I messaged her and... Um, she connected me with Mom Stop the Harm, and mm -hmm. then Mom Stop the Harm told me about an event that was happening last year, Support Don't Punish, mm -hmm. which is then how I met Aware, um, and then everything kind of just kept mm -hmm. spiraling from there. That's where I am now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a, just an incredible, okay, now we're going to back up. Okay. So you, you back us up. You tell us, like, wherever you want to start and, sure. and how it came to that be, came to be. Interestingly enough, I'll just put this in here, is that... De um, losing people in this in sobriety changed my mind too. Right, it was within the first five years I was I got went from abstinence to wait a second, this is fucked up. Like mm -hmm. something's wrong here because not this is not for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Like you see people and and I mean you know if, if you hang around recovery, you're gonna know people who die, mm -hmm. and that's sad, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah. we have to be able to use it to educate ourselves as well, right? Like to try to do something different. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, Please take it away. I'm sorry. That's I just, okay. Because I didn't always, I wasn't always believing in harm reduction either, right? Like it took time and then mm -hmm. of course awful things happening to people, you know, yeah. around me. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, I guess, so I usually speak to Riley's story because Riley's story is the one that impacted me the most. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a part of my story because I lived it with him. Mm -hmm. And you know, his drug of choice was down mm -hmm. or um, or fentanyl because heroin is not really a thing anymore. Um, and I knew that when we got back together. So Riley and I are our soulmates. We mm -hmm. follow the belief of the red string of fate, okay. which what is, is a Chinese belief. Um, mm -hmm. It's basically, it says that two people are connected by this red string and it doesn't matter if it tangles, if it breaks mm -hmm. or bends. Um, doesn't matter how far you go, you're always connected and you'll always find your way back mm -hmm. to each other. And so we dated when we were uh, teenagers and then we went our separate ways. Mm -hmm. And in 2016, we reconnected. Um, by 2017, we started dating and I knew he had struggled with mm -hmm. um, substance use and substance use dependency. But when we first got together, he was on, he was on a path of recovery. Mm -hmm. And I started out being supportive and enabling, potentially. Mm -hmm. um, 
It's hard to know, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it quickly turned into I wasn't supportive. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it in my house. I didn't want it around. I didn't want it in my family. I wanted him to stop, and I wanted to be the reason why he stopped. Mm-hmm. And society told me that if he didn't stop, then our lives would be terrible, mm-hmm. that my children's lives would be terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, It'll be stressful. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of it was if he's not willing, then, you know, he doesn't want to. He's not mm-hmm. ready for change. He needs to hit rock bottom. Um, just consistent. If he's not following these exact steps, mm-hmm. then he's not ready. But time and time again, he was met with barrier after barrier after barrier. I remember this one time, um, he got himself set up for treatment. Um, He was told he had to be, um, it was either seven or eight days sober Mm -hmm. before going to treatment to help get him sober. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think it's five now. They keep changing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, Thank God. And it was Claire's home. Mm -hmm. And so we lived in Red Deer at this point. I made him a box of stuff. So it had like um, pictures and quotes for every single day that he was going to be mm-hmm. there. It, you know, he had like word searches and just things to keep his mind busy, books mm. and things like that. I drove him to Claire's home and uh, he wasn't able to stay sober within those that time frame. Mm. And so when they drug tested him, it came back negative. I came back positive mm. with drugs in it and he was told to go home. Mm. So we had to drive back home. So that was one instance. We need more detox. Just just at this point, like we need more detox centers, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's another thing with detox, you know. So the next time he tried to get into treatment, um, they said that he had to go to detox first. Mm -hmm. It was a it was a requirement. So he went to detox on day one. There wasn't enough beds, so he was sent home. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, he didn't use. So day two, he went again. Mm -hmm. Not enough beds. Come back tomorrow. Again, he just didn't use. Mm -hmm. So by day three, he wasn't at risk enough. And he was told to go home. But in order to get into treatment, he had to be into detox. Mm -hmm. But in order to get into detox, he had to be high. (laughs) Well, yeah, because they triage it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he went out and used. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually good thinking on his part. And and yeah. Try to get in. But what they don't realize is that luckily it didn't, but that he could have had a poisoning because he had, you know, lowered his tolerance by Mm -hmm. not using. Um, So then... He he went to treatment again, um, and you know he he did well in treatment. Mm-hmm. Always, he always did well in treatment because you know you have twenty four hour service mm-hmm. care. You have you know a medical team on standby, counselors, peer support. It's a ni- kind of a nice bubble. It yeah, can be right. For, it is yeah. for sure. But then they get sent home with a binder, mm-hmm. and they have to set up you know, once a week counseling, that's maximum 45 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, once a week online, because it was COVID times, mm-hmm. right? So once a week online uh, relapse prevention, and, and it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything that was underlying that caused him to want to use was never dealt with. Mm-hmm. And so when I would say, hey, like, reach out to your addictions counselor. Like, you know, that's what they're there for. He would be like, well, no, actually, it's literally not. The only thing they talk about is my drug use. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about anything else. They Mm -hmm. won't. They've said no. And it's like, okay, so now what? Like, now where Mm -hmm. do you go? You have to go through this huge process of... So there was no referral from that place to the next step kind of thing? No, No, there was... 
there wasn't. And, you know, it was tough. So the last time that he went to, to treatment, he came out and everything was good, but we had some unresolved issues. You know, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd hurt him really bad. Um, and we, he left and did his own thing and he remained sober for, for almost 90 days. Mm-hmm. And then I got a text message and he laid into me about, you know, all of the ways that I hurt him. It just finally came out. But within that, he told me that he had relapsed Mm -hmm. and I have my own mental health, Mm -hmm. um, conditions that I struggle with. And a big thing for me is abandonment and things like that. So when he got mad, then I go into my own, Mm -hmm. you know, mental health crisis. And it was just kind of like a, a cycle. And this was three weeks before, before he died. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the day before he died, um, or sorry, two days, it was a Monday. So the Monday before he died, he had crashed his vehicle. Um, the vehicle he had crashed into rolled and there was a six day old baby in it. Um, everyone was okay. No one was, no one died. But it really, really messed him up no because doubt. we have Luca, mm-hmm. um, and oh. he, it just it really messed with his head. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he spent the night at my house that night um, because he was living alone mm-hmm. because we had been told in previous years that if he moved back in with me within the first year after completing treatment, that it wouldn't be good for his sobriety. Mm-hmm. It was better that he live alone and not have extra life pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was living alone and, you know, he mentioned, like, I, I don't want to be home alone tonight. Like, can I come over? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, you can't use my home and mm-hmm. this, you know, this rule, this rule, this rule. And um, so he came over. Everything was okay. And then the Tuesday came around and he ended up going home. And then... We talked throughout the day, we hung out a little bit, and then Wednesday, the day that he died, we had spoken early in the morning. Um, we talked for 11 minutes, and I had asked him not to call me until after 12.30 because I had an appointment with my boss at the time. Mm. And uh, I knew he had been using, but he wasn't showing any like signs of using too much or anything mm-hmm. like that. So I wasn't, I wasn't concerned. And at this point I had no idea about any of the resources available. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, again, I gave him another number to, uh, another organization in Airdrie mm-hmm. and I said, call text, they'll get in touch with you today. Like they'll respond today. And so he did, he called mm-hmm. and he sent a text message and I was told um, by the organization that they called him back 45 minutes later and he was, he didn't answer. Um, so by one third, one twenty, I got, he had not been answering my texts or my mm-hmm. calls and I had gotten to his house while I was on the phone with police because I was trying to do a welfare mm-hmm. check because I'd been down this road before. I was scared to call the ambulance because yeah. every time I did, then him and I would get into a, a deeper fight. Mm-hmm. And so I called for a welfare check and it was terrible. I will never suggest that to anybody because mm-hmm. there was no urgency. Um, 
And so I got to his house before police did, and I managed to get inside of the apartment building, and I had gone up to his house and started like banging on the door, and there was no response. So I ran back down, waited for police to show up. One showed up, and then I was like, hey, let's go. He's not answering. Like He's currently relapsed. He's using fentanyl. Um, and they said that they had to wait for their partner. And it was this whole big thing that, and there was no urgency. And I was so focused on the fact that like he was potentially dead or dying mm -hmm. that I didn't even think about the fact that it wasn't like it was a separately owned building. So each mm -hmm. apartment had its own owner. Um, oh, okay. so one of the police officers stayed downstairs looking for like a, like, a, um, a building manager, mm -hmm. but there was none to be found. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Anyways, by, I want to say, between 3.30 or 4.30, or I, I really can't remember. Um, during this time that they got there, so about, I would say, 2 o'clock to 3.30 or 4.30, I had ambulance show up. Mm. Um, they got the door open. I bolted for the door. Um, I was I was tackled down because I wasn't allowed inside. So I bolted for the door. Another police officer tackled me to the ground and said, no, you're not allowed in there. Paramedics came, went in. I was not getting any updates. They were giving me nothing. Paramedics left without his body. Still no update. Mm -hmm. And then finally an officer came out, out and was just, you know, questioning, like, who are you? And I'm like, well, I'm the reason you're fucking here. Mm -hmm. um, he's my partner. He's the father of my children. Like, uh, like what's happening tell me what's wrong mm. and then that's when he said well riley is dead and still by that point they didn't let me hug him they didn't let me kiss him mm. they didn't let me tell him that he was safe and okay and that we'd be okay that we would be okay without mm. him and and it was just it was a terrible gross experience and was it the rcmp by chance yes yes darcy what do you think about that <laughs> yeah, and so I, I don't call them for anything, and I won't I ever again you. because they <laughs> they just they didn't help. If mm -hmm. anything, they made the situation far worse because they had no immediate closure. Mm -hmm. There wasn't enough action for them. That's yeah. That's why. Um, yeah. And he was known to them as a person who used drugs. Yeah. And so then. Sorry for after, all the RCMP out there, but. No, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not. And so after it was just, I had, and I still have so much guilt because, mm. because there's so much that I could have done mm. if I would have known what I know now. And mm -hmm. I think that's why I mm. throw myself into advocacy as much as I do because mm -hmm. Truly, without it, like, I don't think I would have survived. Mm -hmm. You know, every person now that I interact with, that I meet, I'm, it's Riley. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a piece of him. And, like, he would be thrilled to be doing this work. Mm -hmm. He was so compassionate. He was, you know, he didn't care. Like, I hurt him many times. Mm -hmm. And the way I treated him was despicable because that's, I thought I was doing what was supposed to be done, mm -hmm. right? And it didn't matter if if I needed him and he was and he hated me, he would be there instantly. Mm -hmm. He was the only person man to ever make me truly feel safe 
And he did that for everybody mm-hmm. he came into contact with. It didn't matter if you if you stole his last $20, mm-hmm. if you called him 20 minutes later and was like, I need your help, he'd be like, okay, what do you need? Mm-hmm. You know, and... The sensitive ones have a harder time on this earth, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. So... Always have. I just do what I can, and I guess it's my constant way of apologizing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's my way to be... to to show other people that they're not alone because... Mm-hmm. I mean, even some of the people Riley had hung out with that were that used drugs. I mm-hmm. was not nice to them, mm-hmm. and and I've reached out to them personally to be like, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I I wish I didn't treat you like that. I am working on it, mm-hmm. and if you are ever in Airdrie again, like this is what I do now, and this is how I can support you. Please, mm-hmm. please feel free to reach out if you need anything, mm-hmm. because I need to own the fact that I was. I wasn't always nice mm-hmm. and it was because of a lack of education. Yeah. You know, and well, a lack of a diverse education. Yeah. In terms of this stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because, and, but previously there was no diversity of information. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's been, and, and the government flip flops every time the government changes, right? They mm-hmm. go from harm reduction to abstinence. And obviously that just confuses everybody because nobody well, really agrees. Exactly. And I mean, like, Riley was set to go to treatment the following day. So mm-hmm. if he would have had, if we would have been knowledgeable about NORS, mm-hmm. then he potentially would have made it because somebody would have been there to, to enact an emergency response. Mm-hmm. If he, if there was a safe supply, mm-hmm. he would have used, sure, but he would have made it to treatment the next day mm-hmm. and maybe he'd still be here. Mm-hmm. You know, if we weren't, a society and a community that shames people for using, maybe Mm -hmm. he wouldn't have used alone. Mm -hmm. You know, if we had more safe consumption sites that actually had inhalation, Mm -hmm. then maybe he would have gone there to use instead of doing it at home by Mm -hmm. himself where he can't use naloxone because he's alone. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... The information is so hard to find Mm -hmm. unless you work in the field, know somebody, or... Or that's it. Like, or I mean, do research for fun, I guess. Or but, yeah. yeah, but even if you know what to research, mm-hmm. like Riley was a person that used drugs for most of his adult life, and he knew none of this. Mm-hmm. Neither did I. And I've been, you know, I've always wanted to work people. Um, I've always wanted to work people who who use drugs, mm-hmm. but it was always on like, how do I get them sober? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Whereas now it's okay. How do I keep them alive? How do I make them feel connected? Mm -hmm. How do I make them feel like they're, they're just like me? Mm -hmm. Because they are. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it's, it's mind blowing how we can just dismiss people Mm -hmm. because they don't fit into these tiny little boxes that Mm -hmm. we create. You know, when it comes to people who are houseless, it, get a job. They're just lazy. There's this, mm-hmm. there's that. But holy, like, there's it's so finding many a, yeah, issues. Like finding a job in itself is yeah. hard, especially now you don't have a house to go mm-hmm. home to, a place to sleep, you know, adequate food, mm-hmm. a place to shower. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's not as simple as just it's getting not. a job, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and get a job, get a house, you'll be fine. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, okay, well, Instead of spending 
what are they spending, over $600 million on a new police force? Mm. Why don't we spend that on supports for people mm. who use drugs or people who are houseless or, or low mm. income or, you know, on reconciliation with indigenous people mm. or anything, any, yeah, or, or anything else. <laughs> Literally anything <laughs> yeah. else. <laughs> yeah. Anything that's not punitive would be nice, right? Yeah, like, because like the outreach that I do now, the things that I hear like, Finding a houseless person for loitering because they're sitting on a business's property during opening hours with no shoes. Mm -hmm. They're fined $250 and a court appearance. Mm -hmm. Okay, but they don't have the money to pay that. So then they're going to have a warrant. Mm -hmm. After that warrant, they're going to go to jail because they can't pay for it. And then they're just going to be put back on the streets after. Mm -hmm. And it's a continuous cycle, which then makes it even harder for them to get a job, harder for them mm -hmm. to get a house. Like, where do we, like, <laughs> I, I don't get it. Like, how, how do you not see that this is not helping? Well, and that's just it. I think uh, it hasn't been helping for a long time mm -hmm. with, this, with this very specific addiction and alcoholism and whatever else you want to wrap up in that little, little part. But uh, prison has never helped that. Like no. even, even though the prisons in Canada, we have such better prisons in the States, obviously not that much better. Yeah. Because, I mean, we do have programs mm -hmm. and stuff like that, but the the approach is obviously abstinence, right? Like, how do you do harm reduction in a prison? Oh, right? and not even that. So they do have a bit of harm reduction in prison. Do they, so they now? have a needle exchange. Oh, good. But... Yeah. I've been told by an individual I know who has gone through the federal system, mm -hmm. and if you're on the PIP program, you can't get parole. Really? They can't parole you because you're using drugs? Jesus, man. So then you have to stay for your entire thing and you don't have yeah. the opportunity for, for parole? Like, because I, because I use drugs, but I'm trying to use them safely, which prevents HIV and hepatitis and saves people's yeah. lives, but... Yeah, so that's wild, and uh, it's and not in a it good is way. reactive. It, yeah. There's no prevention, yeah, and there's no there's like, no proactive approach to it, right? Yeah. Like, and yeah, like rehabilitation is out the window, gone. <laughs> yeah, like how can you rehabilitate people? You put in cages and then expect, and then when they murder each other, you you get mad at them. Mm -hmm. Like you're putting criminals together. What are they gonna do to each other? Right? Like, I, I've never understood that. Like, how there's got to be another way to approach this. And obviously, other countries have found these ways, but it must not be enough. There must not be enough financial gain in it in those ways for the governments, mm -hmm. or else they would have switched. Right? And you know, down in the, in the States, all the prisons are private. Most of them, sorry. Most of the prisons are private owned. Mm -hmm. And so they're private businesses. Yeah, well, so they make a lot of money. A lot of money. <laughs> and so, of course, the US has the most prisons on on the planet Earth, I think. Yeah, right? and I mean... Uh, and by a, by a large number, I believe, Darcy. If you could look that up, that'd be awesome. And it's, yeah, it's, it's wild because, I mean, to house somebody in prison, in prison costs more than if you were to house them mm -hmm. in a house for And the give same them programs, year. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's... It's, um, it's a strange animal. Yeah. Okay, the United States. The United States has more prisons than Rwanda. Rwanda comes in second at 580. With wow. 76,000 inmates. The U.S. has 629, which is like 40 more. Yeah. 
and they have two million, almost two point one million incarcerated. Oh, oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> That's that is awful. That's wild. Like, yeah. So imagine the overcrowding. Well, yeah, I do. Place has basically the same number of prisons almost. Yeah. With seventy six thousand, like that's that's a fraction. A fraction, mm-hmm. man. Like, that is a small percentage of that. <laughs> and, and so no wonder we're having trouble in North America, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we just, we just lock people up and say, fuck it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And if they're using, they deserve it. Exactly. Right? And it, like, what? That doesn't, <laughs> yeah. how does that make any sense at all? And I mean. It's like when you've made the decision to use, you've given up your right for humanity. Yeah. And. Which is ludicrous. <laughs> and abstinence. Like. Yeah. Uh, this whole, like recovery focused programming that the that the government is trying to mm-hmm. impose okay but if you talk to any type of person in recovery something that is i'm going to say almost always the same is that relapse mm-hmm. is a lot of the time a part of the recovery process very much so for many people yeah but if a person relapses and dies how are they going to be abstinent mm-hmm. So well, if, if they relapse anything, and die, they're 100% abstinent. Yeah. <laughs> According yeah. to the government, right? Yes. Because they're no longer a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And it's which is tragic. It's gross. Mm-hmm. Like it shouldn't P- humans have been using drugs for so long. Oh yeah. And substance or drug dependency is so much lower than the actual amount of people who are using them. Mm-hmm. And it gets this bad name because of, unfortunately, because of people who are unhoused, mm-hmm. who don't have a safe place mm-hmm. to use or have a safe, stable life where they don't need to be dependent because mm-hmm. they're in survival mode. You know, drug use doesn't make a person bad. Thinking back on Riley's journey, he was able to use drugs mm-hmm. in moderation until I would bitch. Mm-hmm. As soon as I cornered him and I was like, oh, you're high. You're never going to get clean. You are destroying our family. Don't you love us? We have children. Mm-hmm. You have this, 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 and that. Why are you doing this? He was like, okay, well, fuck it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he would use to help him go to sleep because Mm -hmm. he struggled forever with sleeping Mm -hmm. and sleeping pills did not help. He used to stay awake Mm -hmm. because I was the person like to get up early and go and he wanted to be a part of that. And I wouldn't even really be able to tell. Like he wasn't erratic. Mm -hmm. He wasn't mean. You know, in times that he used recreationally, he wasn't um, nodding off. Mm-hmm. It was just a means to keep him mellow and a mm-hmm. means to help him live. Yeah, to survive, basically. It, yeah, and mm-hmm. it at times, like, it didn't really affect our lives. Mm-hmm. But I let it affect our lives because I was like, no, this is wrong. What mm-hmm. you're doing is wrong and you need to stop. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I, ha- I have nothing else. Like, I don't have a counselor. Every time mm-hmm. I try and get one, it's this long wait. I have to work and it, you know, the work always interferes with counseling. And if I don't work, then I don't make money. If I don't make money, then we have nowhere to live. And, but the drugs are there and they're easy to get. Mm. And really, if you would just stop bitching about it, it probably wouldn't be a problem. Mm. 
it could have become a problem anyway. It might have. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. It might have. But I understand what you're saying. But I never even gave it a chance. A chance, yeah. Because society tells me that it's wrong. And you were scared, right? Of course, Because they tell you, what else do they tell you? That if he keeps going, however he keeps going, he's going to die. Exactly. Instead of saying, oh, like, he's able to manage. Like, because that's harm reduction, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's things to put in place to reduce the harm. Mm -hmm. Just like riding in my car. And and if he's alive, <laughs> he can live and learn how to live his life, right? Yeah. Whether it whether it leads to abstinence or yeah. not, right? Yeah. And and that's the thing I I think people forget about harm reduction. Is mm-hmm. if people die, they can't get better. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they and if we impose rules on what sober looks like, like this this bugs me, right? Because I'm in the fellowships quite a bit. And mm-hmm. and so that gets under my skin, right? Is when we forget. We forget how hard this is. We forget, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. we found our way, you know? And yeah. and so that's where it took me five years to then reach that point of no, harm reduction makes way more sense. Like what are we doing? Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was like five or six years. I can't remember when the transition happened, but it was once the light went off, I was like done. I I just knew yeah. abstinence is great. Like I'm not shitting on anybody for what they do. Mm-hmm. But to assume that everybody can do the same as you is wrong about anything. Well, yeah. People are so unique Mm -hmm. and their needs and their challenges and, you know, their successes and their strengths Mm -hmm. are so different Mm -hmm. that we need many different avenues, Mm -hmm. you know, because what works for one might work partially for another or Mm -hmm. might not work at all. So if something isn't working, let's find something else. Mm -hmm. And then let's take all of it. Put it together. Put it together. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if someone goes to a, let's say, the mustard seed, because they're typically like a dry mm-hmm. organization, and someone comes in and they need help, but they're under the influence, there's this whole list. Like, hey, well, we're a dry facility, but I have all of this information mm-hmm. to provide you to get you the supports that will work for you mm-hmm. instead of that you work for, like... Yeah, you don't instead work of you for me. Being put into, yeah, yeah instead of you like, being fit into the box. Exactly. That's like that's it though. It's that changeover for helpers in any part of this this uh, genre of helping or any genre of helping really. It's for the helper to sit there and be like, "What do you need?" Mm-hmm. As opposed to listen to what I have to tell you, which is where I started as a social worker, which is listen to what I have to educate you on. Yeah. And then it's like, wait a minute, that shit don't work, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. What do you need? Yeah. Right. As and opposed to thinking I know. Yeah, and it's. It's, um, this it's, is for all those professionals out there that listen to this podcast, right? That listen and, and maybe they're, they hear and this stuff and it's new to them to be compassionate and to be like, yeah. Hey, like you don't have to be abstinent to be loved. Yeah. Right. And, you know, a person shouldn't have to work on their substance use before they get help with anything else. Mm-hmm. It's, it should just come all in together. Mm-hmm. Like whatever the person needs at that moment should be the thing that is being focused mm-hmm. on. It's amazing what you learn when you just sit and listen mm-hmm. to a person's story. And when you say, hey, I'm here to follow your lead. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you need. And it's just like, you know, sometimes they just stare at you blankly like, what? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? What do I need? Like, yeah, tell what me do you what have to, to do. offer? And I'm like, no, I have tons, but mm-hmm. maybe it's not going to help. So I want to make sure first that... Mm-hmm. You know, you'd say like, hey, I need help with food or ID or housing or mm-hmm. I just need some rigs, like. Whatever it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's something that Riley 
would have benefited from. Mm -hmm. And it's something that if he was still here, he would 100% be on board mm -hmm. with it. I bet. And, you know, what's interesting about abstinence and abstinence-based programs is some of those programs, they, they talk down about meds too, right? So, yeah. and, and that, like to me, that's always been a problem for me, just as a social worker in or human, right? Yeah. Where it's like, you're telling people in this meeting of drunk people not to take their meds, like that doesn't sound safe, right? Yeah. And so I've always said that to people. I'm like, don't tell people not to do that. Like, you're not a fucking doctor. Like, well, yeah, and sometimes it could be dangerous. It can be person. downright deadly to that person. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, I... I was, um, I've worked with people who, you know, they've gone and they've, and they've gotten the meds that they need to help reduce like alcohol mm -hmm. withdrawal and they have no idea how to even use their meds because mm -hmm. the doctor was just like, here, yep, take these. And mm -hmm. there's no conversation. There's no compassion. So of course the person's like, well, like, Mm -hmm. what do I do? And doesn't want to reach out to the doctor because at this point they're like, oh, well, obviously this isn't okay. Or, you know, Suboxone, Methadone, like, what if you have depression? Or mm -hmm. what if you have high blood pressure or mm -hmm. something? Like, you got to take your meds. You know, if you yeah. have diabetes, you got to take your, your diabetes me medication. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference? Well, diabetes is okay, but mental illness isn't okay. It's, it's for a, some, yeah, it's, a, right? it's a weird, but they, yeah. they work together and they're I attached know. to the same thing. <laughs> but that's the thing about like the fact that medicine has changed so much, mm -hmm. even though a lot of people who have been around the fellowship for a long time uh, and who think they have the corner on the information, the information they're carrying is old, right? Yeah. Because they've never like stopped to learn the new information. Because what, what, what I hear all the time is, this is the way it's always been. This is the way this program has existed blah, 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 with the hands going and everybody's <laughs> mad, right? Like, um, so as soon as I hear someone say, this is the way it's always been, I'm like, oh, I cringe and then I shudder mm -hmm. afterwards because I usually say something like, it's the way it's always been. I'm always going to be an asshole, just the yeah. way it is. <laughs> yeah. I'm always going to be hard on people, just the way it is. Yeah. Even though in all of the literature, it says, be easy on others and hard on yourself. I've yet to read a, a, any literature that says, pick on everybody new, Tell them, make them ashamed to be in there. Mm -hmm. Make them feel like shit. Make them feel like they're stupid. Like they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Somehow they've survived, but make them feel like shit. Yeah. I've never been able to figure out why people do that. <laughs> yeah. And Especially when we're all alcoholics. And <laughs> like you're all there for the same thing. To yeah. To a healthier life, to live your life to the fullest. So I mean, just because yours is working this way, like mm -hmm. what makes this person's way wrong yeah it's not about it's not wrong right and i know that's i don't know about Riley's situation but i know many people who would have benefited just from compassion yeah right as opposed to like here's some more rules for you right and that i mean riley told me that all the time um you know why like everything is has a condition with you mm -hmm. like he's like and you've switched he's like when we first got together like you were okay with everything you had your boundaries mm -hmm. And then, and then you didn't have boundaries anymore and you had rules. And if mm. I didn't follow your rules, then I was gone. Mm. And that's true. Like, I mean, you know, if, if he didn't do this, then he wasn't allowed to be home mm. or so on and so forth. And so when I work with people now, especially people who have loved ones, mm. I say, have boundaries. Yes, they're so important. Mm. But make sure they're boundaries and not conditions. A boundary yeah. is for yourself and a condition is for someone else. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the boundaries for you to not go too far. 
Yeah, it's and what you can handle. That's right. Not about what, it's not about trying to change, trying to mm-hmm. control anything other than yourself. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> so right. if you notice that you're saying, you can't, you can't be in my house, that's a condition. Mm-hmm. But if you say, I can't be around you mm-hmm. when you're using mm-hmm. because I don't have the mental capacity for it. Mm-hmm. That's a boundary. That's something mm-hmm. that you can't handle. And you get to walk away if that's the, if that happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I really try and focus on that. And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people that I've spoken to are like, "Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense." And 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 boundaries. And oftentimes, people. And I don't know about that situation in particular, but oftentimes families will set up these rules because the individual has either began to destroy the home, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's usually where it comes from, is like a, you can't use here because last time you used, you broke the $3,000 TV. Mm-hmm. Or last time you used, you sold the $3,000 yeah, TV, or you right? Stole, yeah. Or you stole it or whatever. And yeah. So I understand some yeah. some situations require a little bit like stringent boundaries. For sure. For sure, right? And But it's again, it's different for everybody exactly. along that line. Mm-hmm. There's not a big brush where you just simply do one answer for everything it doesn't work that way exactly and so like again when i work with people and they if they do ask what do i do and i'm like i can't answer that Mm. you have to decide what you're comfortable with Mm. you have to decide what's going to work for you and your family like i can't answer that question Mm -hmm. i can tell you my experience i can tell you what didn't didn't work for me Mm -hmm. and then you have to go from there. I can support you in the, in whatever decision you want. Mm-hmm. But like that's that's as much as I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good and boundary. And then you know, I I I just provide resources like mm-hmm. well there's this 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 not. Like I don't know if you know about them, but I didn't. So you know, this is, you know, mom's up the harm is good for this. Nors is good for this. Mm-hmm. Safe consumption site is good for this. And, and Dolph is good for this. Yeah, you got to be living in Vancouver though. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's it can be it can be overwhelming at times, mm-hmm. but it, it's also rewarding because at the end of the day, you're like, oh, you know, somebody new knows how to use naloxone. Mm-hmm. Somebody new doesn't feel like they have to hide it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not alone or somebody new has access to the resources they didn't know before. Mm-hmm. And something that I love doing, like love out of everything is like collaboration. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of researching. I look into other organizations, whether they're here in Calgary, Airdrie, Red Deer, Wetaskiwin. Mm-hmm. I look to BC, to Saskatchewan, to Ontario because we might not have it here, mm-hmm. but there might be op- like opportunity for discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're well to learn, right? Well, yeah, and and it's it's constantly changing, mm-hmm. and like you said, you know, with governments and mm-hmm. with within your community. Do you know, like, what mm-hmm. t- you know, what kind of people are within your community? Are they conservative people? Are they, you mm-hmm. know, are they? Do they have a bit more of an open mind? Are we? Is there, you know, a little spot where you can sneak in and kind of mm-hmm. plant those seeds? Yeah. So it's an everyday lifestyle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Good for you. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so um, have you found that are your, these organizations that you work with, are they growing constantly? Because um, I imagine everything's just growing, right? Like, because we're just growing like crazy in oh, terms sure. of our clientele, right? Yeah, so, um, so my Your Journey is growing probably at a very slow rate because mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have the time to put in as much effort as I would like to. Um, but I have trained many different people, businesses, mm-hmm. organizations on naloxone. I work with a few houseless people within mm-hmm. Airdrie. I make referrals to Calgary. Um, so it is, it is growing and I am mm-hmm. getting the word out about the services that are available. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of AWARE, which is an organization that I work for, um, you know, we have a new chapter in Red Deer that I'm the yeah. outreach coordinator for, and it's the whole chat, like the whole organization is growing exponentially. Mm-hmm. They do so much. <laughs> like they have chapters in Calgary, Red Deer, Edmonton, Lethbridge. Oh, wow. Yeah, they do events, education. Um, and they're about awareness spreading, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's the Alberta Alliance who educate and advocate responsibly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, a big chunk of their membership are people who have lived or living experience mm-hmm. of drug use, sex work, houselessness. Mm-hmm. And it's important to have that because they're the ones that understand it. They've, you yeah. know, they've had those experiences and they're, they're open to, to the, com- the complexities mm-hmm. of street life and drug yeah. use and things like that. Yeah, and, and sex workers, because that's another um, demographic that gets, like, ignored, right, is yeah. in our culture, which is, to me, like, you just discount someone because they're a prostitute. Like, I don't understand that. But again, I don't understand it for drugs either, so. Yeah, and and I mean, and there's different types of sex work. I know. Right? But I was involved in it for quite a while when yeah, I was using, yeah. Yeah, and, <laughs> but the people that typically get, the brunt of I it. sounded too excited when I said, yeah. yeah, yeah, there's way more than just one kind. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm a little excited. <laughs> it's, and you know, the ones that get the brunt of it are typically like the street level sex workers. Always. But yet, yeah. you're going to go to, let's say, a strip joint mm-hmm. or you're going to watch porn and that's okay, but the street mm-hmm. level sex workers isn't okay. Like, why? Mm-hmm. And what get what makes you get to decide what's best? For, for me, yeah. or for anyone else, like mm-hmm. y- it's not your business, it's not your life. If mm-hmm. it's not affecting you, fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> one of the oldest fucking professions on the planet, man. Yeah, right. Like, and I mean, give us a break. Really, ask yourself how many people have you had sex with for free? Mm-hmm. Well, you don't want to ask me. I'm a slut. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a slut. I ain't telling nobody. <laughs> But it's like if you I come from people, a slutty background. Yeah, no. I mean, you do you. <laughs> oh, I did. <laughs> but it's you know, and then when I say that to people, it's like how many people have you had sex with? Mm-hmm. And they're like you don't actually have to tell me, but think about it. How many yeah. people have you had sex with? For free. And then you did it to enjoy yourself? Probably. Mm-hmm. Did you get paid for it? No. Sucks to be you. Mm-hmm. Other people are getting paid for it. <laughs> like, yeah. You know. Totally. Like, do, you, do you think maybe that's what it is? Like a little bit of jealousy, jealousy? from people that they're not making money for their sex? Potentially. But... Man, the human ego is fragile. <laughs> it, it could it really is. be that simple. <laughs> they just yeah. have all this pent up shame for people because they just want to do it. Yeah. They just want to get paid like money. 
They want someone to leave money on the nightstand before they leave, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the good time. Don't forget my tip. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no kissing. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. Uh, one of the things I was talking to a colleague about this week was about how many different organizations there are mm -hmm. now and how many different events there are, mm -hmm. right? Like, we just go back a couple of years, there was like one event, Recovery Day in September, mm -hmm. right? And now there's like several all around Calgary, um, which is awesome. Uh, and the one in Airdrie, I'm coming out to, I think I'm speaking this year mm. for just a couple minutes. I think it's like three minutes or something like that. So I'll basically just say, Samantha rocks, and then I'll just leave. Yeah, yeah. We'll do like a, we'll do like a. What was that Breakfast Club? Oh yeah. And they put their hands up, and I'll just be like, Yeah, Samantha rocks. Um, because you're not speaking this year. <laughs> um, I'm just glad you're gonna be there. Yeah. I, I didn't get to go last year, and I think it rained or something like that too. Oh man. It poured. Didn't we it? got hailed. Oh, you like, did last we got year. Hailed yeah. on so bad. A lot of the organizations. I remember running through the hail to help other organizations like take down their tents because it was hard mm -hmm. and man i was soaked but you know we persevered and mm -hmm. a lot of us um quite a few of us stayed and kept dry until it passed a little bit and then mm -hmm. we went under the um, amphitheater and it was a very it was a very intimate time mm -hmm. um i had two of riley's Riley's people. Oh, so okay, right one on. of his best friends and group members, mm -hmm. Adam, he came. And then another one of his really good friends and fellow hip hop artist, mm -hmm. um, Matt came and they performed. Oh, cool. And, and it was amazing. I cried. Yeah. <laughs> I cried so hard. For sure. That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. And I just found out actually that, um, that Matt is coming again. Oh, so, cool. Um, I'll be excited to see him. Right on. Yeah. That's It'll awesome. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I don't know. We covered a lot. We did. We, <laughs> ran, the, we ran a gamut. Yeah. Um, it was just, it's good. It was good to talk. Mm. I appreciate you reaching out. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Yeah, it's been enlightening for sure. And so uh, let, let's let people know again, you're going to have a booth at the Airdrie Overdose Awareness, which is August 31st. And where is it at? It's at Nose Creek Park from 3 to 8 p.m. And that's in Airdrie. Yes, and I will be at the Your Journey booth. Right on. Okay, I'm going to look for you for sure. All right. Yeah, and I'll look for anyone else out there who might be there.